You know, yesterday I shared that uh, story. I, I was live on our channel with a uh, AMA where people were asking stuff just like you do. And uh, then I shared yeah. the story and I was like, wow, with Ramsey, because, you know, uh, the reason why I connected with you is because you reacted to my uh, reaction video to you with the comment, right? And yeah. then uh, I replied on that comment. I was like, hey, Ramsey, awesome. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for commenting. You want to set up a podcast? And so uh, nothing came back. And then I was like, okay, I'll wait. If I catch this gentleman online, I'll ask him in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened. And you did. And, and did. you did. And the first time I sent you the email, then I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to send him an email a few days later. Because I know, I mean, you're a businessman. So I know everybody, all the people that I have on, these are peeps who are, uh, who are busy, of course. So I do understand. So I was like, okay, yeah. if I catch him the second time, I'll do it again. And that one morning, I saw you. I was like, okay, <laughs> I, got, I got to donate. So Glad you reminded me. It. Yeah. Glad you reminded me, man. Yeah. Well, I, awesome. I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. Awesome, Ramsey. I'm, I'm really, I really appreciate you showing up. And uh, I have a lot of questions about MMA and stuff because I'm actually. Okay, sure. I'm, I'm not a pro on this. I just uh, see it from the surface. But I think it's yeah. just highly interesting. Uh, and I see some similarities with kettlebells. But the first thing sure. that I would like to get started, Ramsey, just for you to share. Um, I checked your stuff. And your personal career, what I really like, you say, usually, I, I, I like your bio. You say, I'm actually the guy who got bullied. That's the reason why I got into fighting, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a very common story with martial artists, man. Wow, that's interesting. And you said years later, I became a professional fighter out of pure financial necessity. I fought to pay bills, plain and simple. So how did that yeah. come about? Really interested in that. Oh, how did that come about? Well, I was, I was living in the U.S. at the time. I was, uh, I'd recently graduated from college. I was, mm. I was struggling, struggling to find a find a uh, a job that could really pay the bills i was working mm. like three part-time jobs at the same time i was struggling with medical bills in particular because mm. i don't know how it is in switzerland but the united states has has some issues with healthcare. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. um greatest and most expensive healthcare in the world as as they say <laughs> um so in a great twist of irony to pay medical bills i I started fighting. I, I, yeah, I, I like that. Wow. My, my very first prize fight, I got my ear torn off. Like my left ear was torn off, dangling by a thread. And I had to spend my entire fighter's purse for the, the copay on the insurance just to get no. stitched back on. Wow, I was thinking, no. man, this really this. uh may not be the smartest course of action in order to pay the bills but man what what else is there when you're working three jobs just struggling yeah, yeah. wow so you wow and what happened in that particular fight that your ear, ear was cut off well it was a it was a kickboxing match mm. and if you look closely at a boxing glove the modern boxing glove has webbing between the thumb and the mid of the glove oh, and the guy threw a hook at me and um you know, the hand inside a boxing glove, it's open like this. And there's this little strip of webbing connecting the, uh, the thumb to the glove. Mm. 
that started, I think, back in like the 1950s or 1960s because boxers used to eye gouge each other with the thumbs. And uh, really? so they changed the design of the glove to, yeah, to make the sport they, safer. Uh, okay, make it safer. But in, in some regard, yeah. <laughs> in some regard, yes. Yes. But when the guy threw the hook, the webbing right between the, uh, the mitt and the glove caught me right on the earlobe and it tore the ear, almost took it right off my head. Oh my God. Anyway, it's blush and gut all over the place. Between rounds, the ring doctor comes up to me and says, your ear is dangling by a thread. If you take another punch or two, it might come clean off. Do you want to continue? And of course, in the heat of the moment, you know, with, with that young man's ego just saying, I can't look like an idiot in front of the crowd. I was like, of course I want to continue. Uh, you know, in retrospect, that might not have been wise, but. Wow. And, and you know how. It makes for a great story. Well, it's really a great story. And if I compare this to nowadays where, you know, and I'm not a professional on this, but just my beginner's perspective on fighting. Um, refs, they stop the fight like when, you know, immediately, right? So safety, I, I would yeah, they should. probably call it that. Ah, they should. So in some cases they do, some cases they probably don't. But it, it, it definitely has changed, right, from back in the day when it was like, hey, Ears hanging off. You still want to continue? <laughs> oh, yes, I try. <laughs> yeah, especially for a first-time fighter, man. I've I've worked as a referee uh, for a, a bunch of professional fight shows, amateur fight shows, mm. and especially with the uh, the less experienced fighters, you want to err on the side of caution. As soon as you feel that a fighter can no longer intelligently defend himself, the referee has the obligation to stop that fight. Mm. But at the same time, if it's if it's just blood or something like that. You, you also have to look for signs like if, if the nose is bleeding, are they aspirating blood? Are they sucking that into their lungs? If so, yeah, you got to stop that. Maybe call the ring doctor in. But if it's just a little blood trickling up, ah, they're fine. Let it continue. Mm, wow. So, you, so wow. That's there's actually, some gray areas. Uh -huh, yeah. But that's actually something that, you know, as, as, as somebody who just watches a fight doesn't know what the, the ref has to keep an eye on. And, and yeah. wow, that's interesting. So the ref has to understand, it's, like, he really has to observe the fighter and then be like, okay, they continue, or I got to see if he really sucks up blood from the nose. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly. It's one of those jobs everybody thinks is easy until you do it, then you're, you're suddenly faced with these really difficult calls that can make or break people's careers. And half wow. of the people involved in that situation hate you for it, especially when you make the right call. Wow, when you make the right call, right? Wow. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember um, this one. I, I think I watched a documentary from Boxing Legends. That's that's very, very cool YouTube channel. And it was one of those documentaries from a boxer who died um, because of those. I, I don't know what it was. I think because they he continued in a certain fight and that led to serious brain damage in 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 the aftermath where he lost his sight and couldn't continue fighting and then i think yeah he took his life after this because he couldn't mm. uh continue fighting right wow that's well that's interesting yeah. wow and another thing that you're saying is and and again for me as a beginner you say i believe training for mma should be approached as a unique combat sport and not simply a yeah. combination of other striking and grappling sports so for me you know the beginner's perspective. I think that's exactly what it is. You combine fighting with grappling. 
uh, and punching, striking with grappling. But you see it exactly. differently. So, yeah, what's the idea? Yeah, and this is it? one of the most common questions I get on my channel is, um, you know, should I train exclusively in striking arts and then in jujitsu and wrestling, and then several years later try to combine these things? And to that I say, no, if you want to be a mixed martial artist, train to be a mixed martial artist. Yes, you need to cross train. You need to learn how to strike. You need to learn how to grapple. You need to learn how to do those things independently. But at the same time, if you're not, for example, doing MMA sparring, like sparring under unified rules, and a lot of people are terrified by this idea because they have very little control when they spar. But control is absolutely key. If you can spar without the power, without the intent to to damage your training mm. partners, mm. right? Yeah. You can do this safely. You can do it effectively. You can do it almost daily. Now, it's one thing to get in a, a wrestling match and shoot for double legs against a guy who's who's wrestling with you, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a very different mechanical process shooting for double legs on somebody who is fighting in the context of mixed martial arts striking and grappling and everything else that entails at the same time so if you become an expert wrestler okay and then years later you make a transition into mixed martial arts uh, you, you, in my opinion you're going to be at a a disadvantage against somebody who has shot ten thousand double leg takedowns in the context of mma sparring versus somebody who's shot 10,000 double leg takedowns in the context of wrestling. It's a different animal. It's a different thing. So, mm -hmm. And the, that's because, the, and, and if I just may uh, sure. keep asking a question, that's, so if I understand it, the context of wrestling, if I keep shooting for those double leg takedowns, in wrestling, I do not have to anticipate any punch coming right it's just the guy tries to defend the double leg takedown however in mma you probably get a knee or whatever happens is that the sure. context that you're referring to that, that that's one of them the, the mm. striking is one of the contexts also the posture is very different the posture the setups the distances they're all very different so basically in mma you've got you've got just speaking of the double leg takedown there are thousands of ways to put people on the ground but the double legs are very high percentage one very popular technique that we say in mma but there are basically two ranges where that becomes very efficient and very effective in mma deep inside a clinch and outside the pocket that means like you know where there's distance between you and the other guy Mm -hmm. and you use some sort of fake, some sort of feint, like like an overhand I, or something, mm -hmm. then you shoot under him, ah, right? Oh, okay, okay. In the context of wrestling, you're going to set this up from a very different stance, from a much lower stance, right? So both guys get very low. They, they generally tend to tie up. Their, their posture is uh, broken. It's not the right word. It's, it's That's why a level change, a huge mm -hmm. level change. Yeah, yeah. So, again, the context is very different. In, in many regards. So that's that's why you have to understand it's not just putting one piece together with the other, but it is a combined idea that you want to engage from day one. Kind of like. Yeah, or, uh, I, I would say so, yes. Mm. So the, the way I teach like an MMA class, and this 
term itself kind of confuses people because again, they're still in that mindset of take a boxing class, take a Muay Thai class, take a Jiu Jitsu class, which you should, I'm not, I'm not saying don't do that. But an MMA class, if you're going to run a, an, an MMA gym, if you will, mm-hmm. essentially what that is, is teach technique in the proper context, spar in the proper context of the sport you plan to be doing. Right. And really almost every sport does this. But not everybody realizes it. If you look at um, the cross training done for, I mean, name a sport, any sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching a video some time ago about this this lady training for the Winter Olympics in the the skeleton race. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a you you run, you jump on this little sled, and you go down this this slide basically, and the first to reach the bottom wins. Oh, and dis- you wouldn't think this is a what didn't know it's that's crazy. a discipline wow. in the winter olympics <laughs> that's crazy. yeah okay and you wouldn't think this is a sport that requires like a whole lot of cross training or weightlifting or anything right. like that but i'm watching right. this lady's regiment and she is doing squats and deadlifts and sprints and plyometric jumps and and all kinds of uh serious athletic movements just so she can have this this advantage on that that initial push that initial run to the sled jump on it and then slide down and of course, the core strength that it requires to not die on the way down. I, I assume. <laughs> yes. Wow. But what I'm seeing here is this lady is cross training. She's she's involving herself in all these other disciplines, you know, powerlifting, essentially sprinting, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. But in the context of her sport, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end of the day. She's not just lifting weights and running. She is practicing that Olympic event and practicing it. The skill. You know, frequently. Yes. yes. And I think what you are describing as cross training is the way I see it in kettlebells and uh, how I learned it from uh, the guys that I've been exposed to. These these folks that I've talked to, uh, athletes and um, Pavel is you consider cross training what I would call GPP. Okay, GPP, so, what's that? Yeah, GPP is general physical preparation. Uh, so okay. that's what you do for your sports. That, that's what the deadlift, the squat, the press, and for MMA, as far as I'm concerned, I, who said this? I'm trying to think of it. I think Steve Carter said this uh, because he trains with Ribeiro, um, six blades in, I think it's a jiu-jitsu gym in, in San Diego. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if he said it, but somebody said, for example, a Turkish get-up is one of the greatest exercises for an MMA fighter, right? So that's, sure. the, that's the GPP exercise because it builds your, 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 your body uh, to prepare for your sport. And then that's that's a great example too, because it's got a ton of athletic crossover as well as just the, um, you know, the general fitness aspect. Yeah, most definitely. And when we talk about the, the skill that you need to perform your sport, that's the SPP. Okay. Mm. So that's the special physical preparation. And, and I think it's Russian terminology. And if you go even a step further, where I think it becomes very interesting is 
So GPP, let's let's take a combat athlete, for example, right? An MMA fighter. So we do the GPP. You do some some heavy swings, some some deadlifts, some squats to make him stronger, right? Or her, or whatever, whoever it is. And then, sure. of course, uh, that person has to engage in MMA by itself. So that's the SPP. And then there's another mm. classification which I think is interesting, and that's the SPP two. And SPP two would be combining and uh, dan john calls this a uh, mixed training combining a certain set of exercise that is specific for the the person's needs in the sport and pavel says mm. for example for a combat athlete or an mma fighter or a jiu-jitsu athlete would be takedowns with resistance bands okay. that would be an spp2 exercise and and we get a lot of these questions sometimes on our channel. It's like, hey, I've seen this guy do this exercise. I've seen athletes do this. And then sometimes, and I'm really looking forward to your opinion. Sometimes I believe athletes do stuff on Instagram, on social, that is just for the gram, that is just for using clicks. Yes, they do. It, it, it's, there's no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no actual skill transfer. It just looks yeah. funny or, or it looks even... Yeah, it, it's clickable. They're doing stunts. They do, they're oh, doing. Stunts, stunts. They're doing stunts, but they're they're calling it conditioning. Yeah. Yes. Like yes. Man, just just recently, one of my old videos blew up, and I, I don't know why the YouTube algorithm recycled it, but um, it was this video commenting on a stunt that's very popular on Instagram, and it has been for a while, where people hang from a pull-up bar, you know, with their you know they're fully stretched out doing a, a mm -hmm. dead hang. And then they have somebody use them as a heavy bag, just punch them in the guts over and over oh. and over again. Okay. And yep. this is a terrible, dangerous stunt to do. But a lot of yep. people are emulating it. And I've, I've seen not one, but two people get abdominal hernias doing this. Oh, my God. Because, you know, it's, it's a very different thing than taking a punch uh, in a fight where your feet are on the ground, where you can brace properly, where you can breathe properly. If you're just hanging there with your abdominal muscles stretched out, taking undefended punches... You know, you're you're going to cause damage in a way that you cannot brace for, like you are when your feet are on the floor, right? Yeah. And mm. anyway, it's it's a stunt, and I've I've ended up having uh, a few heated conversations with people <laughs> oh, online yeah. saying, "No, oh, no, this is that. good conditioning. My coach taught yeah, me this, yeah. etc." But yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not something you want to emulate, and I mm. I hate it when people, you know, the the Instagram fitness stunts. Yep. Um, tend to replace good, solid oh. fundamentals in people's minds. 100%. Because they get clicks, they look exciting. 100%. Well, I, I agree so much. You know, in kettlebells, I mean, you have, from my point of view, the kettlebell and Dan John, I always like to reference Dan John. Dan John was a pivotal character in the modern kettlebell revolution, RKC times, and the beginning of 2000s, 2001. In, in the West, at least. And he says yeah. always, he has a term for these exercises. He says, the kettlebell allows you to use it in any shape, any way possible. Yet the kettlebell has a very differentiating factor, and that is it's, it's bell-shaped. So the ballistic element, the way you can train with the kettlebell in a ballistic form is unparalleled. That's what the kettlebell 
is it's that's the most differentiating mm. factor but you can also do heavy deadlifts you can also do squats you can also do strict presses that's great and then there's that category of exercise where you can do almost anything with it and then dan john always says just because you can doesn't mean you should yeah and i think i think that's one of the greatest statements i've ever heard when it comes to these exercises. it is it so, is wow. man Wow. So often, more often than not, the, the minimum effective dose is what people need. They, they think they need to push themselves to the point. It's, it's like cramming for a test, like a lazy high school kid who didn't study all semester long. And then he thinks, I'm just going to cram right before the test and then I'll, I'll pass my class. Right. You can't do that with exercise. You can't do that with fitness. And you definitely can't do that with for success in a, a combat sport. Man, there's no cramming. No, it's, but, it's the power of the basics, right? It's that's what it is. And I got to tell you about the first time I saw a kettlebell. My my old coach Shane Brenner, he's an awesome guy, a great mixed martial artist, jujitsu black belt, uh, a mentor and friend of mine. He was he was training me back when I was uh, a scrawny weakling, and he handed me a kettlebell, a pretty small one. I think it was like thirty pounds, something like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, Ramsey, this is the stuff you need to be working on. And I picked it up. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've, I, I can curl this in one hand. This, I, and this, this type of weight has never made me strong. What are you talking about? So he, he puts me on a regimen of swings and so on. And oh man, that changed my mind very quickly because it, it yielded results. Results that uh, other weight training that I had done did not in terms of athletic transfer to combat sports wow. specifically for those reasons you were talking about that ballistic that explosion that mm -hmm. dynamic movement mm -hmm. that is otherwise lacking in uh in so many other forms of uh of athletic training mm. but yeah wow and i think uh i i heard my mentor steve carter who's also a pivotal a person in in the modern kettlebell revolution he said you know the kettlebell allows you to um increase biomechanical efficiency so i was like wow so what do you mean by that and then he says the beautiful thing about the kettlebell if you rack it properly okay there's a term we call hand insertion where you have the kettlebell racked inside your uh, on your wrist where you actually don't grab the weight you racket and it's hanging on you so for that matter the kettlebell allows you to load your frame in a way that is biomechanically efficient because you don't have to hold on or grab onto something and that's one mm. another powerful aspect of the kettlebell and cat's kettlebell dojo she has she also has a youtube channel and she's a, a champion from new zealand and a kettlebell coach she said you know and that's the one of the reasons why you can use kettlebells for endurance is because you don't have to grip it and grab it. Because if you use weights for endurance, what gives out the most? Your grip. Because you yeah. cannot grip it anymore, right? But the kettlebell, that's the biomechanical efficiency. That's why you can work 10 minutes. 50. We just recently did a half marathon. So that's 15 minutes of snatches and 15 minutes of clean and jerks. And that's, that's the beauty of the kettlebell. So, wow. Yeah, the, oh, that's an interesting and, point. Yeah, yeah. And the transfer to combat athletes. I think that's, 
and do you see that too? I mean, your your sensei gave you the kettlebell, and do you see it as well that the kettlebell has so much applicability in in the MMA world? That's what you mentioned as well. Oh, absolutely. And what's the specific reason? You mentioned ballistics, but if you would elaborate a little. Okay. Well, it's it's all about athletic crossover, and there's athletic crossover and kettlebell movements to both the striking and the grappling aspects of mixed martial arts, as opposed to j just one thing. I mean, there are tons of assistive exercises, tons of accessory exercises that can make your striking better or that can make your grappling better. But as far as a single tool that can make both better simultaneously, I, I honestly can't think of anything that is more efficient that the average person could just go out and, you know, get one thing than a simple kettlebell right as far as as far as striking um i talked a little bit about this in in that that video you mm -hmm. you uh you critiqued which which was awesome i really appreciated that by the way that was great it was awesome. like man i'm getting a Thank free you. personal training session here this <laughs> yeah you said amazing that comment that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> great but one thing i talked about is is the the fact that you're you're using your hips in very much the same way as as you do when you are striking, whether it is uh, punching or kicking, but we're generating power through through hip drive. Mm -hmm. And as far as grappling, which I didn't really talk about so much in that video, there's there's athletic crossover also, because we are using this the explosive force from essentially between our feet and our hips and our core in the same type of way. Let's take. Mm. We, we mentioned the Turkish get-up before, yep. right? Yep. One of the most important things you can do and you can learn and you can master as far as technique in mixed martial arts is getting up off the ground, right? The get-up. And athletically, it's it's a little different getting up when, when there's a human being on top of you that wants to keep you on the ground and, you know, a, a kettlebell in your hand overhead. But as far as athletic crossover, it's a very, very similar mechanical process. And when your exercises emulate the movements you're going to use in a fight as closely as the Turkish getup to a technical getup in a fight, that's a win-win. Okay. Now, where am I going with this? Um... So yeah, Turkish get-ups are definitely an exercise I would recommend to grapplers. And that's probably why the, that jiu-jitsu guy told you it's one of the most important exercises for grappling. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about um, an MMA fight has five-minute rounds, right? And it takes an average of two minutes to score the first takedown if the fighter wants to take the, the fight to the ground. Mm -hmm. And on average that fighter's opponent will get up at least once during that round. Meaning that a good striker with a good get-up game has a significant advantage in an MMA fight, right? If he can get up twice in a single round, that means he is nullifying his opponent's grappling skills. Right? You can have the best jiu-jitsu champion in the world, and if you can get up, twice in a single round statistically speaking you have a significant chance of winning that round wow okay wow 
if you're able to get up from from a ground fight with a person who's very good at in the ground game and you're yeah. able to get up twice in a in a fight statistically your chances of winning increase right so am i getting that correct dramatically uh, uh, dramatically. dramatically i mean just think about it even if you don't know anything about mma or, or fighting um what's a better position being the guy on the top or being the guy on the bottom <laughs> yeah. now i, <laughs> yes. I, I know I'll, Easy. <laughs> a lot of jujitsu purists will be like, but but I'm very good at fighting on the bottom in my guard. And sure, yeah, and you should be. You should be, right? Because we, we need that if we are put on the bottom against our will. We need to the ability to, well, there are three S's to playing the guard bottom game, mm. right? The very first one of those is stand up. Wow. Which we don't always see in jujitsu class because there's the big emphasis on, you know, learn how to fight on the ground. But as far as guard bottom, stand up is number one. Second one, sweep. That's attempt to become the guy on the top. Flip wow. the guy over. Wow. Push the guy over. Mm. Trip the guy. Get on top. So you've you've got this role reversal. Then you have the advantage. And the third one, submission. That's the one everybody everybody ah. always thinks about. They always associate with jujitsu. But that's the last thing. And if again, if we're looking at statistics, UFC statistics, submissions are fairly rare. Most fights end via TKO. That's when one guy can't intelligently defend himself, right? And then we have um, the rest of the fights being split up fairly evenly between knockout, submission, and judge's decision, right? So submissions do happen. They can happen. I love them. You should practice them. But um, if, if you're putting all of your trust in just the submission game, you're missing out on like 78% of what the fight is. Wow. Right? 78% of the possible ways to win a fight. So we're actually focusing on the submission game, which is the last one of the three, and statistically yeah. happens not as often in when it comes to winning, right? Yeah. You know, I, man, I get... I get the same. I get the same vibes now that I'm listening to you. There's a a, a way of progr progressing with kettlebells, and it depends on what style you're using. If you're more into kettlebell sport, where you're more strength endurance and ultra endurance, then there's there's a specific way of progressing with with kettlebells. So the first one is um, increased time. You want to work longer with the weights. The second one right. is decrease the rest that you need in between sets or even in between the, the exercise, the reps. Uh, rule number three is go faster, increase your RPM, the reps per minute. And now, number four, here comes the weight. And it's the same. Mm. People are always thinking progression means heavier weights, right? And in certain aspects, yes, when it comes to a hard style swing, I would say if you're proficient at the hard style swing, yes, go grab the next heavier one, the heavier increment. But in other aspects, it's not. So that's right. kind of like the same vibe. A lot of parallels. Wow. Yeah. People get uh, so enraptured with the idea of, you know, more, more weight because it looks impressive. Oh, man, mm -hmm. I think I just unplugged my headphones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One second. Okay, yeah. I'm back. Yes. But yeah, yes. We, we fall in love with the, the sexy Instagram videos, the the, the, uh, do that. the Instagram flippy-dippy jujitsu, I like to call it. Flippy-dippy jujitsu. <laughs> flippy-dippy jujitsu, yes. <laughs> awesome. You know, and for a beginner, I have to say, you know, I, 
I do not know a lot about jiu-jitsu. I know that the, I know uh, MMA, the first ones that the Gracies dominated. So I say, okay, so groundwork yeah. and grappling work um, must put you at an advantage. And, uh, and it does. And it does. And here's why. Mm, mm. Here's why. Any good jiu-jitsu coach will teach you this first. Before any submissions at all, position first and then control and then submission, right? In that, in that order, position first, then control, then submission. If, if you like the first two, you, you don't have the other ones, right? Yet, if, if, I may, if I may ask you, I see a certain, if I may say, dichotomy when you say uh, the three S's, right? Number yeah. one is stand up. Yes. So yet jiu-jitsu is all about groundwork and it puts you at an advantage. So why is number one stand up if the guy that is that is good with his grappling game wants to take you down? That's a great question. And this is one of the big differences between sport jiu-jitsu, like the, the sport we see in the IBJJF, the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, you know, where they put on the uniform, mm -hmm. they go on the mat and they just grapple, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're, they're not going to be standing up once the match goes to the ground because mm -hmm. the whole goal of that sport is submit the other guy or score mm -hmm. points on the ground through positions on the ground, mm -hmm. right? MMA is different. In the sport of MMA, our goal is to do three things. Effective striking, effective grappling, and effective aggressiveness. As far as effective striking, that's, that's pretty obvious. Hit the other guy more than he hits you. Hurt the other guy more than he hurts you. Effective grappling, this is where people get a little confused, but essentially it comes down to be the guy on top. Be the guy imposing your will. You know, a submission, if you make the guy tap out, okay, that's, that's effective grappling. If you can take the guy down and control him and maintain top position, that's effective grappling. If you can maintain the... Um, the big scoring positions, and by scoring positions, I mean I mean the ones you actually do see in sport jiu-jitsu. Full mount, top position. That's a top mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. You're sitting on top of the guy. Mm -hmm. Side control, top position. You've got the guy pinned on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. You're on top. He can't move. Mm -hmm. Back mount. You're controlling the guy's back. There's not a lot he can do. He's very vulnerable to attacks from his back. Uh, knee mount. You're kneeling on the guy's belly. He's pinned on his shoulders. He can't move very well, right? All these positions give you an extreme advantage. But you'll notice you're not going to score for being the guy on the bottom, right? Because that is that is not particularly effective grappling. Now, you can win fights from the guard bottom. I have. Most of my submissions in, in my professional fights came from guard bottom positions. You know, I got out-wrestled, but I managed to attempt to stand up, which gave me the space to get some wiggle room so I could get my submission going, right? And that's one of those reasons those three S's are so useful is because one leads into the other. A failed stand-up creates space for an attempt at a sweep. sweep. A failed sweep creates space for an attempt at a submission oh. and so on, wow. right? Wow. But yeah, in the, in the context of MMA, if you're on the bottom, you're probably losing. So, and number three, the aggressiveness. That's, that's another thing you said, yes. the aggressiveness, yeah? What, if you the could elaborate on this, because just, sure. just my, my impression is the fighter, a calm, 
controlled fighter and I say, um, oh, the Russian, what's the Russian's name? The two brothers, forgot, the, forgot their names. Those Russian guys. Um, There's so many Russian guys, man. Yeah, uh, the, you're thinking about Fedor, Emilia? Yeah, Fedor, Fedor. I mean, Fedor, yeah. and I mean, his brother is the one with the, with the, with that huge dark tattoo on his back, right? With the beard and the tats. Yeah. But, but and he's also, uh, I mean, good at what he does, at least at, for my beginner's eye. But Fedor is, and I, I think I heard him in an interview where he said he's very calm and he's calculating. And you don't yeah. see him so aggressiveness. What, what does that mean? And he's like that in person too. I met him once at uh, awesome. uh, the Dragon Fighting Championships in Shanghai. He was awesome. there as a guest. And uh, man, it's, it's, not a, it's not just a ring persona. He's like that in real life, man. He just has that cold, steely stare all the time. <laughs> like he's always like composed in that scary way all mm. the time. Wow. But yeah, effective aggressiveness, it's not just going crazy, right? And Fedor is a great example. He's a guy who is effectively aggressive, but also very composed aggressive. all the time. Mm. That means you're, you're the guy who is doing more to win the fight. Oh. You are the guy who is controlling the ring. You are the guy who is making the other guy make mistakes. You are the guy who is imposing his will more than the other one. At the end of the day, that just means the guy who did more to try to win, the, the guy who did more to try to finish the fight. Mm. And how do you, as a, as a fighter, how do you make the other fighter make mistakes? Give him a death stare? Mm. <laughs> is that, oh, that's is a good that, question. Is that, is that one of the things? Because you, an, an intimidating guy or intimidating person, uh, that does that something. Is that something that you have to learn before you get into the fight? It's like a mental game? Uh, probably, I, I guess. Um, I mean, sure, that, that, that definitely factors in. And that, that's something a lot of people... I've been talking about uh, in, in more recent times. Uh, Israel Adesanya, he recently started a YouTube channel. And um, yeah, I'm glad to see he's, he's gaining some popularity on YouTube because man, these, these fighters, once they're done fighting, they need a retirement plan, man. And YouTube is, is giving these guys a great opportunity to do that. But yeah, he's, he's, he's talking a lot about the mental game on his channel. And that's, that's some, some great information there. But to, to answer your question there, how do you make the other guy make mistakes? Mm -hmm. Besides just trying to get in his head in a pre-fight press conference, you don't always have that luxury, especially at the lower levels. A lot of times if, you, if you're fighting, you know, in, in lower level pro MMA or, or amateur fights, ye, the first time you see the other guy is going to be in the ring. A lot of people don't know that, uh, right? Because yes. we've watched the UFC. We see all the drama. Leading yeah, up and... The, most guys don't get that yeah walking up walking up with a t-shirt that says f you all over the place from uh yeah what was that um uh, uh i always forget these names uh the the, the irish guy um yeah. uh conor mcgregor yeah conor mcgregor always smack talk against yeah, jose yeah. aldo sure yes but here's how you do it here's mm. how you do it in the cage during the fight you program your opponent you program wow. him to do what you want him to do and a lot of people don't know this is possible. I didn't know it was possible until after the fight that put me into retirement. I fought this guy named Wang Guan. He was a former Chinese national Sanda champion. Um, you know, he, he had this, uh, you know, just very, very good fighter. Mm -hmm. And the way he got me, he threw a kick. 
at my midsection, kind of a nothing kick. And I caught it and he wiggled his way out. And then I threw a kick right back at him, the same kick in the same place. He caught it, pulled my leg back, boom, and knocked me out with his power hand. And then came over the top with an overhand and smashed my skull into pieces, man. That's what put me into retirement. Oh my God. And I watched this video like a thousand times afterward trying to figure out why why did i throw that kick at his midsection that was such a stupid thing to do like i i know consciously don't do that don't throw a kick without any setup against an expert sonda fighter they're, they're gonna catch your kick i gave him my leg on a silver platter uh for those of you who who don't watch sonda it's it's basically chinese kickboxing with throws and takedowns and one thing sonda fighters specialize in is catching kicks and then throwing their opponent with that leg, right? And they're very, very good at it. I was shocked how good they were at it when I first came here to China and started fighting Sanda fighters. I was like, holy crap, I got to learn how to do this. So when I fought Wang Guan, like consciously, I understood, don't throw a kick without any setup. Mm. Don't throw any kicks as it had his midsection or he will catch them. And that's exactly what I did. And I'll tell you why. I'm watching this fight for like the thousandth time afterward, and I have an epiphany. He programmed me to do that. That's why he threw that nothing kick, that little slap. Like, this guy's a killer. He can throw heavy, heavy strikes that, that hurt you very badly. He broke my skull after him, right? But he threw this little nothing slap to get my head. To, it's like a challenge, right? If somebody, somebody pushes you, right? What's your first instinct? Uh, you push first back. Instinct yeah, are, are, you push yeah, back. Push back. Somebody course. hits you. We want to hit them back. Somebody kicks us. We want to kick them. Back. Somebody hurts In us. Instincts. We want to hurt them back in the same exact way right an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth that's yes. that's natural instinct that's the natural man right wow and so when you are in that fight state when you're not composed when you're not uh like fedor if you will you react you don't act you react and my reaction was hurt him the same way he hurt me but worse and so i try to throw a harder kick than his nothing kick to the same place and he catches it he and ends my career he Yes. Wow. Wow. But this was a very, this was such a valuable lesson because man, I started, I started using it, programming your opponent. Wow. You can do this as a fighter. You can do this as a corner man. That's a whole different story right there. But um, there are so many ways to program your opponent with your movement. Here's another really simple one, right? A lot of amateur boxers have this uh, problem. They want to hit the other guy. So they chase him and he moves away. Mm -hmm. And they chase him and he moves mm -hmm. away and they, they keep mm -hmm. chasing the guy and he yeah. keeps running away from them. They're like, I can't hit you. Floyd Mayweather, they light, chase right? Him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. exactly what Floyd mm -hmm. does. And when they chase him, Floyd he cuts an angle and boom, gets them when they're coming in, right? It's a perfect example of how this works. So what do you do against that guy who just keeps running away from him? How about this? Just take a step back, invite him to come in without even thinking. Most people do. They take a step in, boom, then you hit him. Very, very simple. Chase the guy, he moves away, take one step back, hit him. It's programming. Wow. And there are millions of ways to do this. Very, very simple it's ways. A, it's a mind game. And, it, huh? and wow. Yeah. You, uh, you know, um, it's so great when I'm talking to you, I, I see these similarities in, in coaching, training, kettlebells. Um, one of the reasons, um, there's one type of reason. I believe. You know, in coaching, um, taking you on a route, uh, so bear with me. In coaching, um, I mean, you're a coach as well. 
uh, we in our gym we have a lot of women so my idea is um, it's always been that way I don't want to touch people too much um, I want to yeah. give them proper feedback with the proper cueing with the proper words so that they understand and sometimes of course it warrants a small really maybe fingers or you know but never we have sure. we have one of one coach in our area he's like <laughs> said, that's great very handsy so, yeah very, very handsy. i'm like hey man you you don't need to touch that girl when she's just doing a a a a uh, bird dog on the ground just strain your leg and strain your arm you're safe right but whatever that's another story so um that's what I'm trying to work on. I'm trying to get as proficient as possible in my cueing so that people can process the information and then really download it into their kinesthetic sense so that they understand, okay, that's how I, I'm supposed to move. So I read this one a scientific study that says, um, I think it was a study about mirror neurons. And I think uh. it's just, a, it's a thesis. I, I, I'm not sure if it's, I'm not an uh, expert on the, on the subject, but the, sci the scientific background was interesting. They had a monkey who was always picking up a banana when the researcher picked up one. So they, okay. they were like, they, they saw this, they observed this, and that's when they drew some conclusions of mirror neurons. And in my mm. coaching, that's what I do in showing the movement, telling you what it looks like, showing you the movement and then sometimes and it does happen sometimes that people are completely struggling with the exercise and then I stand next to them and mirror the exercise so they can watch me and do it so maybe that's something that's programming right so oh, tossing yeah. you that kick so that you automatically automatically toss one back right wow yeah Absolutely, man. Absolutely, man. I'm always looking for more efficient ways to coach. I think a lot of uh, bad coaches that I've seen fall into this trap of always following the same script over and over again, no matter how inefficient it is. Yeah. But when you're looking for a more efficient way to do things, and I, I, I observe this in my own coaching sometimes when, when I teach the same or a similar lesson to different groups of people, like last night, I taught, um, taught a clinch technique at two different gyms. And the first gym went great. The second gym, eh, not as well. It wasn't as well received. And I was like, what's the difference? What, what did I do differently between session one and session two? Mm. And so I'm always having to reevaluate. You know, did I give different cues? Did I, did I um, you know, word it differently? Did I, did I model it differently? And that, that's another big thing is modeling. Mm because mm -hmm. you're exactly what you're saying about mirroring things because sometimes we think we're doing a certain thing and we're actually not doing yeah. a very different thing and this happens yeah. a lot with traditional martial arts mm. like people will say when you throw a sidekick chamber your knee as high as you can and then pivot and and then you know when they're doing the demo nice and slow that's exactly what they do and then they kick the bag as hard and as fast as they can and you watch it in slow motion and they didn't chamber the knee as high as they could it just came up straight from the ground hmm. and 
You're like, wait a minute, one of these things is not like the other. And the students are trying to model the uh, way yeah. the coach taught, chamber the knee really high and yeah. extend, and it's <laughs> not working. Mm. It doesn't yield the same result. They don't mm. have the speed, they don't have the power, and they wonder why. You know, And their coach wonders why too. And you're you're saying, uh, and I'm just looking through my notes because you know when I when I talk to these great folks and I can't find my notes, so I have to because I have to uh, tell you this. Um, I got this from Dan John when it comes to coaching cues. So let me just search that video real quick, and then I can uh, give you his idea that I'm trying to follow now. Um, yeah. Because you're saying following a cue just because just because of the cue. I don't think that's the right way to do it. It's the right mm. way to do it is maybe even be unorthodox, break the movement down, and maybe you say something that nobody says, but it's actually what you're doing, right? So um, yeah. let me let me tell you uh, what he said. I'm trying to go through the notes here. Um, he calls it. Yeah, it's so awesome. He he says when I coach something he says i have three systems that i follow and they are in chronological chronological order the first one is concept the second one is drill and the third mm. one is frankenstein's monster so i was like okay Dan, okay you gotta elaborate on it and he said it's very simple when i teach let's let's uh put it in kettlebell terms let's talk about the the heart style swing, okay, or even easier, the hinge or the deadlift. <laughs> so the concept is pushing your hips back, upper body leans forward, making sure that your spine is straight, and then you engage in a hinge. You don't fold, you don't squat, you don't deadlift, you hinge. That is the concept. It's not a squat, it's not a deadlift, it's a exercise that stands in and all by itself. And interesting side note, Dan said the hinge, we've, we've done it for years, but only 20 years ago, this term, this description came up to call it a hmm. hinge. So if you have somebody who understands the concept by you just explaining it in simple terms, and well, I used some medical terms there, but just explaining it in simple terms, then you're safe. Don't do anything. Okay? Don't don't f try to fix it if it's not broken. Safe. Level 2, if somebody does not understand your concept is you show them a drill. A drill that may help them. So for example, with the hinge, you put a stick on their back to emulate a straight back. You use a wedge when they start leaning back, they feel okay, now I'm losing balance. I have to lean forward with my upper back. And if they get it with the drills, you're safe. And if they don't get it with the drills, then you pull out Frankenstein's monster. That's when you start using medical complex terms and really go mm. into the details. And the idea okay. is, I think the idea that I'm getting out of it in one sentence is try to explain even a complex exercise as basic with as, as minimum, you said a minimum effective dose. Yeah. Because if you get it more complex, you said chamber the knee, right? And then you see them, they don't do it. Then it's like, well, what do we do The average do person instead? doesn't know what chambering the knee even means. Right? Yeah, I don't even know what it means, right? So, so I'm like, okay, um, if we don't it's do it. It's jargon. It's jargon. Scrap it. You say lift it up and uh, rotate your hip or whatever. Uh, That's right. 
So that's what I'm trying to do now with, with the coaching is because I think you get that as well. You, the jargon and the terms, you love them and you understand them. And then sometimes you, you use them, which is great. But I think if we use them too often, then people be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> right? I know, man. Yeah. There, there are some great uh, YouTube channels that, that I love about, about lifting and fitness and so on, but they get very jargon intensive. And, and um, it's like you, you have to be a... Uh, you have to be a scientist just to follow some of <laughs> these guys. It's, it. <laughs> yes. it's like, man, I, I feel stupid listening yeah. to this guy talk about weightlifting, man. Who who knew? Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly, you know, when when coaches talk amongst each other, that's a different ball game. But um, and in my case, this happens as well sometimes where I start digging into stuff that is deep. But I believe that's just my attention and my love for the detail where then I have to cut back, especially on YouTube videos, where I just, so many times I'm cutting out so much stuff, where I'm like, man, you're, you're going off the hook with this. That, that's too much information. Cut it out. They yeah. don't need that. And, and I think a, a sign of a good coach is somebody who knows his stuff, but he can show it to you, or she can show it to you in a way that is so easy to understand that you're like, wow, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, man. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of similarities, right? Indeed, indeed. You know, whether you're coaching, um, a lot of people are, are surprised that I, I actually coach multiple combat sports. I, I coach MMA fighters. That's that's my passion. That's my primary thing. But I also coach boxers. And a lot of people are shocked because they see like boxing and MMA is diametrically opposed to each other for some reason instead of instead of complimentary and they're like how can you coach boxers who succeed in boxing and mma fighters who succeed in mma and i'm like because i know how to coach wow it's if, wow. if you have a coach who's who really understands the art of coaching he could probably be a pretty decent coach at almost any sport i think wow yeah because, because you know at the end of the day i think and that's what you're saying I see it with our clients in the experience with the people that we coach is uh, if you are technically a beast and you're a champion, add any title to your name, but you're not, um, you don't know how to break it down and see the beginner's mindset and break it down to their level, it's, it's worthless. Yeah. As a coach, it's absolutely worthless. Absolutely. I, Man, I see this a lot trying to coach my own kids because you you have to bring that down to the level that children understand. You can't start talking about, you have to engage your posterior chain or any of that. <laughs> it's <laughs> Kids be like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So the, the, there was a reason that my, my daughter, when she was two years old, was able to do arm bars. It's because, you know, I, I basically reduced jujitsu to a level that a child could understand it. Wow. Wow. And that's, wow. I think that that's a skill, breaking it down. And the funny thing is sometimes I imagine this. I'm like, and, and that's one of the critiques that I uh, sometimes issue on our channel. Um, and probably 
I'd like to get your opinion. In our world, in fitness and kettlebell world, you have um, folks and you have coaches, and I'm always trying to be as respectful as possible. I'm not trying to uh, act all crazy. I'm not a commentary channel, so I'm just giving yeah. my idea, my feedback. My, my, even though, um, just as a side note, I uh, implemented one of your techniques that I watched you, uh, you shared this in, a, in the live stream, I think. You said, you, you talked about child Sonnen, right? Yeah. And you said, he always starts with a controversial statement. Yeah. Right? And, I, and that was <laughs> like, neat, though. yeah, and I was like, you're right. You know, and not, not being controversial for the sake of being it, but understanding the YouTube algorithm, understanding what triggers some folks, and then just spice it up a little. And <laughs> recently, yeah. I did this. I was like, I put this in there because Ramsey said so. That's going to trigger some folks. <laughs> I love that. It's human psychology, man. Yeah. And so, and we, we have this contrarian nature. Yeah, one hundred percent. And in our world, uh, we have some coaches who come up with elaborate schemes where you, as a professional, watch what they do and you don't understand a single word. Mm. And that's what I'm critiquing. Because I, know, I don't know everything. Of course, I'm, I'm not a professional. I'm not omniscient. But I know certain groundwork and certain philosophies when it comes to strength training, endurance training. Doesn't matter the training modality you're using. You have to abide by some principles. And if I see you throwing out those principles all together and for example, thinking that um, jumping around with heavy kettlebells or swinging and mm. cleaning kettlebells on a BOSU ball gives you any edge or benefit and then packaging it into a system that you sell, then I'm like, we all have to eat, we all have to sell stuff, I do understand. But I wonder if that's the same in your uh, world where you look at stuff and you're like, I don't know what this person is talking about. Yeah. You, you'll see that in every physical discipline. People trying to reinvent the wheel is what it is. You know, people want to, I don't know, they, they want to be unique. They want to be the founder of something. They want to, they want to feel special and they want attention. And so you got to do something attention grabbing. Man, I remember when I was younger and I independently figured out how to do a quarter Nelson, a basic wrestling move. But I, I didn't know that it was already a thing. I was like, whoa, I just invented this whole new move. I'm going to revolutionize yeah, the grappling. And then I'm looking so at some, some videos of, you know, some just basic wrestling. And I'm like, oh, they're doing my move. I, I guess I didn't. <laughs> There's nothing new under the yeah. sun, man. Oh, yes. And so often, and that, that's just a case of, you know, some, some grounded basic technique. But people... People often try to reach, they, they replace fundamentals with stunts. They replace fundamentals stunts. with circus tricks, like balancing on a BOSU ball, for example, which by itself is, isn't so bad. But if you're trying to, you know, do swings on a BOSU ball, trying to do a, a heavy squat on a BOSU ball, something like that, it's, that's, that's and, not going to have a bunch of athletic crossover to your sport and it's going to have a high risk of injury, right? And the, the, most the most problematic thing that I sometimes see is they do it with highly paid athletes. I'm like, wow, you are, you are putting this million dollar athlete 
on a bolster ball uh. with kettlebells. You must have a great insurance, my friend. <laughs> I, yeah, I there, there are some what... athletes out there. Some great athletes who will succeed in spite of their coaches, not because of them. Yeah, yeah. I, Dan John says the same. He was like, it's the breed. If you have a strong breed, that person will succeed with, with anything. And he'll always be better than you because of the breed, right? If, mm. What comes to your mind when it comes to fighters? Who are those types of fighters? Just pure breeds. Okay. You know, one that, one that comes to mind, uh, back in the day, Ronda Rousey, when she was making her, her rise to fame, she, she had a coach, and I, I don't want to poo-poo uh, her, her, uh, her coach, uh, Edmund Tarvidian, however you say his last name, but he, he was not particularly well-liked in the, the MMA community. He was, he was a boxing coach. He didn't know much about MMA, didn't really know anything about grappling, but... I think it's pretty obvious Rhonda had the success she had in spite of him rather than because of him. That's crazy. Wow. Because, you know, she's this expert grappler, expert judoka, and, you know, phenomenal athlete. And that success she had, she experienced that in spite of the coaching she got from Edmund. And, you know, you could see that you could say the same for a lot of fighters. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say this about George St. Pierre that, you know, Faraz Zahabi is a phenomenal coach and I'm certain that he contributed a great deal to George's success. That being said, he's the type of guy who is a phenomenal natural athlete and also has the right work ethic. And if you have a guy who has that type of work ethic and that type of natural athleticism, you could put him with pretty much any coach who is halfway decent at his job, and he would have, he would have experienced some level of success. I don't know if he would have had the same level of success, but he would have experienced some level of of success. Right. the The real dividing line in coaching is where you can take some average person who is not particularly gifted, and then lift them up to the next level. Wow. You're. You're saying the same like Dan John. I, I love seeing the similarities. I think I'm always picking the right people to talk to. Dan John said he has a high level of respect for high school coaches because they pick up okay. average, yeah. average folks and then they come out really, really decent. So it's like, wow, that's, that's great work that the coach has done, right? And I mean, genetics do play a role and, and I mean, Mike Tyson was able to bench, what was it, 200 pounds with 14 years of age. And, and now the heavyweight, uh, what's his name? I, write it, I wrote it down, Francis Ngannou. Uh, yeah. I, I really love that guy, the way he handles himself, himself. But I think that's also, what's your opinion? I think that's a genetic beast, right? Sort of like Mike oh, Tyson. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah. yeah. Ngannou, yeah, he's one of those dudes who... He's going to experience a certain level of success simply based on his physiology. Yeah. You know, regardless of anything else he does. And what's the heavyweight, uh, the classes in, in MMA? Heavyweight goes up until what? Up until 265 range? pounds. That's yeah, 265 kilos, pounds is the right? cap of, uh, yeah, about that. Hold and on. Let me calculate that. I'm, 
having a hard time calculating between pounds and kilos because I've lived in in uh, outside of America for so long. Yeah, I forgot how to use pounds. <laughs> Let's see, but I know the weight classes of of the UFC in pounds. So we got two sixty five divided by two point two, one hundred and twenty kilograms. Yeah. And Gano's there up go. there, right? Probably, right? With, yeah. yeah, he's probably cutting down to make it to two sixty five. To make it, to make it. So, yeah. wow. I, I as a on another note, I just like to get your opinion on some of the fighters that I that I'm watching that I enjoy or you know like I said complete beginner but just enjoying the art of the modern gladiators right so um the Gracies um yeah. I watched I watched the the youngest um I don't, I don't know if he's the youngest but he's the most charismatic uh it's not not Renzo, I think it's the younger one who's really leading everything. He's leading his YouTube channel, the YouTube channel. You're talking about Henry Gracie from Gracie University Online? Yeah, I think the, the younger super guy. Super charismatic guy. Super charismatic. He's very excited when he talks. Oh, when, 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 he, when he critiques you know, like, his fights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cut a lot. When I, see, when, I, when I hear him and I see him, I cut a lot of things off for of me. I'm like, wow, that's, that's what charismatic is supposed to be like. <laughs> really, very passionate. Yeah. So what do you make of these guys? He, uh, he had a video where he was dominating even heavier folks, heavier guys. And what, what's your take on, on, on the Gracies and, and him in general? But Henry Gracie, man, you're, you're absolutely right. He's a, he's a charismatic dude, man. Now there are, there are a lot of great jujitsu artists out there and, and Henry is, he's very, very talented. And one of his talents, I think, I think that does get overlooked is how charismatic he is. And that's why people recognize him. That's why, that's why people are like, man, he's, he's like, people now tend to associate Gracie Jiu Jitsu with Henry and his brother Hiron, right? Because yeah. of their YouTube yeah. channel and their charisma. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many others in the Gracie clan who are out there doing uh, amazing work in jujitsu, in competition, in coaching, mm. and so on. But they're the ones who uh, they're the ones we hear of specifically because of the charisma. But yeah, jujitsu, as you said, it, it allows a smaller person to control a larger person, specifically because you you take away so many of their tools and their advantages when we bring a fight to the ground and pin somebody. I mean, think about this. If you had a big heavy medicine ball, right? And you're standing up and you had a running start. Think, imagine yourself throwing that ball. How far can you throw it? Mm, yeah, not pretty decent far. amount, right? No. Now, lie down on your back ah, no, and okay. try throwing mm. it from a, yeah. a prone posture on your back. Yeah. How far does that go by comparison? Yeah, yeah. not very yeah. far, most definitely, yeah. So essentially, we've taken not just the legs out from under us, we've taken away most of the power, most of the advantages we have once we go to the ground, right? And that's analogous to, let's say we have a, um, an expert grappler versus an expert striker, going back to UFC 1, right? The expert striker is like that guy throwing the big heavy medicine ball, you know, having his legs under him, having the running start. And the expert grappler is the guy putting him on his back allowing him to get like you know nothing nothing behind that throw that's what it uh, taking away the, the leverage right the 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 the, the power exactly. that the person has right so uh, and 
are are the Gracies as respected in their communities in, in the jiu-jitsu world? Or would you say there's a few jiu-jitsu guys who are number one? Um oh man, that's that's very debatable. There there are so many great jiu-jitsu athletes out there right now. Mm. Um if I were to man, it's it's hard to pick a number one. Mm. A lot of people are pointing to you know guys like you know gordon ryan but then again he's uh he may or may not be retiring right now so who who can say who it's always shifting gordon they're always ryan, having right competitions yeah. you can win and lose on any given day most definitely and there's always a always a new guy coming up in this sport yeah yeah so i i cannot mention the graces without sakuraba what i saw some of his stuff why why yeah. was he why did he dismantle those guys and what makes him so special and is that sanda what he okay. does sakuraba he sakuraba trained in he trained in a few different things essentially he trained in catch wrestling with uh, um with a, a few different catch wrestlers he trained with billy robinson for some time he trained with a few others but catch wrestling is it is a grappling style. It's a submission grappling style that has a lot of similarities to jujitsu, but the emphasis is different. You win by pin or you win by submission. Whereas in jujitsu, jiu you win by submission, at least traditionally. In modern jujitsu, you can also win by points. Okay. Right? Okay. But that simple difference, winning by pin or submission, changes the dynamic of the sport substantially and in many ways makes it much more applicable to mixed martial arts specifically because there's this intense focus on be the guy on top whereas jujitsu as much as i love it puts this huge emphasis on you know it's okay if you're in the guard it's okay if you're on the bottom because you can fight your way out and that is important to know but the mindset of be the guy on top is absolutely imperative to consistent mm. success in mixed martial arts mm. oh, interesting so a lot of the guys who fought uh hoist gracie back in the day for example they they bought into the mystique they bought into the hype built around him this guy is indestructible this guy is he's he's godlike we we and sakuraba didn't bow down to that like he understood submission grappling. He understood what a grappler was. He knew what jujitsu was. He knew what hoist could and couldn't do. And so he went in there with a calculated game plan. I'm going to out grapple this guy. He understood my grappling in this context is better. And so he was able to impose his will. It's a, a big, it's a mind trap. A lot of fighters can run into is, is this idea of buying into the mystique of an opponent. A lot of people fell into that trap with Conor McGregor, right? Because he has this larger than life persona. He talks the big talk and he can back it up most of the time, right? And so many of his opponents, you know, when they when they were faced with that larger than life persona, they wilted in front of it. Then you have a guy like Khabib who understands, I can actually beat this guy and I will. And then he mauls him a little bit. Right, because he's able to separate the person from the persona. Do in in let's pick that example, and you have to you have to tell me if you're short on time, Ramsey. I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. Uh, you uh, 
You tell yeah. me, stop. Yeah, no I, I, I got to have two other business uh, to attend to, but so interesting. So when it comes to Khabib and McGregor, do you think um, it was Khabib's ability to dismantle McGregor's persona or, or and he was just a better skilled fighter? I would say it's both. Because in many ways, McGregor beat guys who on paper should have beaten him. The fight with Jose Aldo, for example. We were expecting to see a compelling match. And we saw a first, like a 30-second knockout. Because Jose Aldo made a mistake he shouldn't have made. Right? I'm sure he's watched that fight a thousand times, just like I watched my last fight, thinking, why did I make that stupid mistake? That's That's a beginner's mistake i shouldn't have done that right like logically he knows better but he, he fell into mind traps right khabib had that advantage of i don't know if you've i've trained with a lot of guys from these former soviet republics um people from kazakhstan from mm -hmm. uzbekistan from turkmenistan from tajikistan and they all have something in common they've got this this mindset which is very, very different. It's, it's absent in, in so many Western countries. Um, almost every one of these guys I've met knew how to fight. They knew how to wrestle. They knew how to box. But there was something else. They, they had this, I don't know, it was just like a, a fearlessness of... They, they, don't, they didn't put people up on a pedestal. Wow. It was like, okay, we're fighting now. This is happening. Now I'm going to beat you. Right? And whether they do or not, that's the mindset. Now I'm going to beat you because that's what, that's what the fight is. Uh, and, and there are so many of these guys who, who come over here to China to, to work and, and to train these dudes from these former Soviet republics. And man, I can't speak highly enough about not just their skill level, but their, their mindset. And so when I first saw Khabib in the UFC, I was like, this guy's going to go somewhere. And of course he did. Right. And uh, an another great example, um, Zabit. I don't know if you've seen Zabit. I can't even pronounce his last name. Mm -hmm. It's polysyllabic and unpronounceable to me. But mm -hmm. first time I saw him fight, uh, he, he fought in Shanghai. Right. And he's fighting a dude who looks like an aesthetic bodybuilder, looks like an action figure. And a lot <laughs> of the folks like in the audience figure. are like, oh, this tall, skinny guy, oh, he's going to get mauled by the, yeah, yeah. By the tough guy. Oh. And Zabit systematically dismantles his opponent and he's super calm and composed the whole time. I'm like, well, well, of course it makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, I don't want to like racially stereotype people, but in my experience, people from that part of the world just tend to be better at fighting, culturally better at fighting. Yeah, you, I think you, you mentioned one very interesting point where uh, I read a book about uh, certain topics that are circulating right now in the world. And somebody, and, and the, the author said, you know, the funny thing is uh, we're not biologists refer to folks as different populations and not different races. We're one race, it's just a different population. Mm. And so if you grow up in a different country or especially Soviet or, you know, ex-Soviet 
ex-communism or whatever have you in those areas, of course you have a different mindset, a completely different culture than, than the States. I mean, I see the difference from Switzerland or from Europe, not, not in all cases, but I see that, you know, for example, when we look to the States, we always see uh, this dramatic thing happening. It, everything's always very dramatic. Everything's always very, and I'm not saying this in a condescending manner, that's the culture, that's the American culture. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's loud, it's, it's, it's explosive. And in Europe, we're more, and especially in Switzerland, if a politician would act like any other politician in the States, in, in here would be like, are you out of your mind? It, this is not how we behave. Yeah. But if a politician from Switzerland would go to the States, he would get devoured, <laughs> right? So I think it's cultural differences. Yeah, wow. And oh, I, it absolutely is. Do you I think mean, that's something? The, yeah. Do you think that's what Fedor also the, the put United on display? Oh yeah, absolutely. He mm. he called it the Russian work ethic. If, if you read his book, he he published a book for Victory Belt uh, Publishing. They do a lot of, at least they used to do a lot of martial arts technique books. Mm. And in the intro of his book, he said, "In this book, I will teach you the techniques I use to win fights." However, I cannot teach you the Russian work ethic, which is why I won fights. Wow. <laughs> That's what it is. So, yeah, if, if you think about it, the, the United States has some of the best athletes in the world. It has some of the toughest guys on the planet. But the average American is nothing like that. What is the average American? I mean, the U.S. has like, I think it's like a 65% obesity rate right now. Mm-hmm. And you compare that to the American athletes, that's a different thing. So there's, there's this disconnect between average American culture and athletics. Yeah. Whereas, again, if you look at a country like Kazakhstan, where they have public wrestling gyms that anybody can go to, and you're just kind of expected, that, that's what men do. Men go and wrestle in their free time yeah. at, at the wrestling gym, right? And so everybody... There's a culture of athleticism. There's a physical culture that is widely accepted and expected. Mm-hmm. That's complete. And different. so if you look at um, you know, mm-hmm. these tough fighters from the former Soviet uh, republics like uh, Zabit and, and um, Khabib, and then you look at the average guy from those areas, it's, they're not that far removed, <laughs> if you will. At least not not to the extreme that mm-hmm. the average American is from, say, um, you know, a UFC champion. Yeah, that's what you also see in strongman. You know, some of these these guys from these Western uh, uh, from these Eastern countries, the bears. And I'm like, wow, probably they have adopted or they have um, grown into a certain a body type because they have to fight bears or what actual bears i don't know in 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 that area where you live so uh yeah that's it's very interesting to note and uh, dan john shared this story where he said you know he was at a track meet and uh, at a meet and he was a discus thrower a very successful discus thrower and he said you know i remember i don't know what it was 60s or 70s he says uh we're preparing we're doing everything we need and here comes this soviet giant he picks up the discus and I don't know if it was the discus, but then it's like, okay, now who's going to be second? You or me? Because we know who's going to be <laughs> number one, right? Because of the, the specimen. 
Well, man, I'm learning a lot here. Uh, another one that I'd like to get your opinion on, Bas Ruten. Okay. I, I really yeah, like I really like him. Also, very charismatic. But his skill level and what do you think about him? Okay, Bas Ruten is one of those one of those guys that you you have to appreciate following the history of the, of the sport of mixed martial arts. He was he was one of those guys who was doing MMA before the term MMA existed, you hmm. know, back in the Pancrase days. Uh, Pancrase was a fighting organization where you could strike with open hands, you could kick, wow. you could grapple. Mm -hmm. So it was it was kind of a modified MMA sport. And then uh, he was able to parlay that skill set into into modern mixed martial arts, had a had a high level of success with that. And then YouTube came along and he put out this series of videos that went viral. It was like one of the first things to go viral on YouTube. You've probably seen I it know them. Being around bar. YouTube long enough, his, his self-defense videos <laughs> in the bar. Pump yes. in the knee. <laughs> and suddenly people realized, yeah, there's there's more yeah. to this guy than just a tough guy in the cage. Mm. Right? He's he's got a personality, he's fun to yeah. watch, he's yeah. he's endearing. There's something to this guy. Yeah. And he, he was like one of those first fighters that showed by example that you, you know, fighters need to have a career outside of fighting because whether you like it or not, you're going to have to hang up the gloves eventually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the UFC doesn't come with a retirement plan mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. no lower tier MMA organization comes with a retirement plan. Mm -hmm. And so... The, the questions I get on my channel are usually from young guys who want to be fighters. And they're like, what do I have to do to be a fighter? Okay, I, I, I can give you some tips and so on. But one thing I really want to emphasize to them is have a backup plan, have an education, have, have something else that you can do and plan for, for when you do need to hang up the gloves. Mm -hmm. Man, that's, that's absolutely imperative. Well, yeah. And it sounds it sounds so corny, right? You have to have an education, but hey, man, yeah. it's it it's the truth. It does. <laughs> yeah, the it truth. Does. You got to have a certain set of skills outside of fighting, and that's yeah. that's one great thing. Boss Rudin showed is that he had a skill set outside of fighting. I mean, before he was even a fighter, he was a he was a professional model. A lot of people don't know really? that. He had <laughs> a modeling know. career. Yes. Ah, awesome. Well, that's you look what, at him now as an older why. gentleman, and you're like, really? What? But that's why he calls him El Guapo. Yeah, <laughs> he the, calls handsome him one. Yes. the handsome one. The handsome one, El Guapo. Don't do this to El Guapo. Yeah, you were... <laughs> I remember those videos. <laughs> oh, vividly. Uh, man, oh, wow. And another one, uh, Badr Hari. Badr Hari. Badr Hari. I am not familiar with the name. Oh, yo, you're not? Wow. Wow, really? Badr Hari. I am not. Sorry wow. about that. Wow. I, I, I didn't know. Uh, Badr Hari is okay. a, a... You're, you're going to have to share it with me. Badr yeah, Hari, who, yeah, who yeah. is this? And I'm the beginner, right? He's a legendary uh, uh, kickboxer. Badr Hari. I'm, I'm going to send you the name. You got you to check him out. Badr okay. Hari. I'm going to have to look this up. Badr Hari. And I think Algerian. He's Algerian. Badr Hari. Yeah. Very, okay. no, very notorious you know, for I'm his... I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, you have to. Uh, very notorious for his... The way he uh, um, 
he handled himself outside the sport, kind of. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, fighters on the ground okay. and he's still kicking them, right? Badr Hari. Yeah. But, wow. Um, yeah, he was a K1 fighter. Heavyweight yeah, champion. Okay. Yeah. Bottom I'm going to have to look this guy up, man. Yeah, yeah, you have to. So the last one. Um, not two, two more. Six foot six. This guy was huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he he fought uh, Rico Verhoeven. Verhoeven was also a K1 uh, kickboxing okay. guy. Yeah, some really interesting, yeah. And may, maybe that's more popular in our in our culture. Yeah, it could be. Because it's... It's not MMA or it's just kickboxing only or K1. We even had a Swiss champion, Andy Hook, with the axe kick. Boom. He, he, yeah, he, Andy he was popular for that. Yeah. So the last that guy one. I'm familiar with. Yeah. Awesome. yeah K1, when K1 was at the height of its popularity, it, uh, yeah, it didn't really air so much in, in the US. I mean, you could see it on the internet, but it's one of those things you kind of had to know about. But um, and, and yeah, just probably probably more popular in Europe at the time. And now that you're mentioning K1 and its popularity, why do you think the MMA took off like this? Uh, one more time. Why do you think, you know, we talked about K1 and its popularity. Why yeah. do you think MMA took off and gained so much oh. popularity? Man, that's a great question. It would have to be the marketing. Well, two things. One, the sport's awesome, but also the marketing. Because you know, before the UFC, people tried to do this thing. There was there was uh, another another show had very similar rules, basically no rules, like UFC one, but it got absolutely buried in the public consciousness, and nobody even remembers. I, I can't even remember what it was called. He had gotten like no screen time, no no TV time. Mm. Um, I believe it was shut down by authorities and so on. And you know the original UFC was almost buried as well mm. because you know politicians were going on witch hunt saying it's human cockfighting, we can't allow this, and it, it mm. was banned in mm. in all but one of the U.S. states for the longest time until the Fertitta brothers bought the company and hired Dana White to be the president and the front man of the organization. And they changed the marketing aspect. And there was so much they did with marketing. Like one thing Dana White did early on was he decided to appeal more to the average martial artist. Because at the time, martial artists were deeply threatened by the UFC. They saw Hoist Gracie out grappling traditional yep. martial artists. Yep. And they felt like i don't like this they're mm. this is telling me my karate doesn't work my kung fu doesn't work my taekwondo doesn't work i hate this i i, I don't accept this right and then dana white comes along and he says okay who who does that who do all these people like they love bruce lee right mm -hmm. i'm gonna start saying bruce lee was the father of mma and so he went on this marketing campaign advertising that idea bruce lee is the father of mma and suddenly people are like you know what yeah <laughs> bruce lee did promote these ideas yeah. you should strike you should grapple you should combine them okay we're on board now i mean that was huge in the development wow. of and the popularity did? of the ufc bruce, is bruce getting lee the average this? martial artist on yeah wow yeah bruce lee he i mean well, you only see just, him to some extent yeah mm, wow wow he he pioneered a lot of a lot of great concepts 
that were largely ignored in his time. Like, you know, back in the 1960s, everybody was like, you got to stay on your own side. If you're a karate guy, just do karate. If you're a boxer, just do boxing. If you're a wrestler, just do wrestling. And Bruce Lee was like, how about we take the best of all and, and um, yeah, you know, combine them all, right? Wow. That's that's like the, uh, the essence of Jeet Kune Do, if you will. Um, and... Yeah, aside from that, getting the public on board, not just the martial artists, because they're a niche, they're a small group, but getting the general public on board with the UFC, that probably had a lot to do with the Ultimate Fighter TV series. Because at the time that came out, I people remember. loved reality shows. I still don't know yeah. why. I don't understand reality shows, but people like them. Because they yeah. want to see something real. They want to see something yeah. genuine, I guess. Real, yeah. Right? And Yeah. <laughs> So they would show, you know, the, the drama between the fighters and the house they're living yes. in and so on. And they would show the fights and people were like, oh, there are yes. fights on this reality show. Let's let's watch these. These are kind of fun. Let's let's keep watching them. Right. And that brought a whole new demographic into into seeing the UFC. So those are probably the two main pivotal uh, PR events that contributed okay. to the popularity of the UFC. Another example of how important marketing is in, in what you are doing. You can yeah. be the best at what you do, but if you don't know how to, and that's, that's why I look a lot to the States and see, and I learn from, I read books in English. I, almost all of my stuff that I'm learning is in English and I'm always seeing how, how, how these guys are doing it. And it makes total sense. I remember even the ultimate fighter. I remember Quentin Jackson ripping that door off its hinges. When he was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was I a great scene, it. right? Made for great yeah, it, TV. It really does. <laughs> okay, final uh, final note, Ramsey. And then, wow, I think we, we've yes. been we've been rolling for for over two two hours now, almost. Wow. Okay. Really enjoying this, Ramsey. The final uh, comment that I'd like to get from you is: Have you heard about the boxing fight, the, those celebrity boxing matches, and? Uh, a lot of them are going. Oh, yeah. A lot of publicity, and yes, we all know. Even like even the, as a big the Paul brothers, yeah, Paul brothers, and you know, even as a beginner, I do understand. There's not a lot of skill involved sometimes, and uh, but what do you make out of celebrity boxing in general? Do you think that's a good thing to happen to the sport? And on a final note, what is your opinion on Thor? versus Eddie Hall, which is now has been canceled, and now it's Devon Lorette, the arm wrestling guy, which I really like. Um, what do you make yeah. of Yeah, okay, it's... Man, there's, there are a lot of different directions I could go with this, but let, let's go on this one. So we have, we have some YouTubers turning into boxing. We have some strength athletes like, like Eddie Hall, Steffi Cole, and some others um, becoming professional boxers, and it's... It's so fascinating to me how when, when non-combat sports athletes make this transition to becoming a, a combat sports athlete, it's almost always to boxing. Like you, you never hear like uh, the celebrity jujitsu, celebrity MMA, celebrity kickboxing. It's always boxing. Yes. This is so fascinating to me. And I think, I think it's because boxing appears to be mechanically simple. And so it's, Seems like I can wrap my head around this. I, I can, uh, this is something I can do, right? Because 
anybody with hands can make a fist and and swing their arm but i'm going to tell you from experience boxing is one of the most difficult combat sports to do wow it looks mechanically simple and in many ways it is but it is one of the most demanding and difficult combat sports and so i think people people are much more likely to engage with boxing and, and this this is like beginners beginners who come to my gym for example one of the first classes they will try is the boxing class you know there are mma classes there are kickboxing classes there are jiu-jitsu classes and there are boxing classes and i coach those and and um you know i i enjoy them i'm glad people come to them but they're some of the most popular classes with beginners because it seems mechanically simple it's and right away they realize there's a lot to this it's a game of millimeters right it is a game of millimeters if you're this far off you lose right so and also it's a game with very dire consequences in jiu-jitsu for example even in mma you can win an mma fight without taking any damage it's the rare mm. exception, but it's mm -hmm. possible. <laughs> okay. You can take the guy down, strangle him, get the tap out, finish the fight within a minute. No. You can't do that in boxing. It's going to be very rare you finish a boxing fight without any damage, unless there's a serious lopsided skill set. But anyway, it's, it is so interesting how all these, all these um, celebrities and, and popular uh, strength athletes are, are moving toward boxing right now. Um, is it good for the sport? In, in some ways, sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely getting eyeballs on the sport. It's bringing in some casuals who don't care about boxing. But at the same time, at the same time, I have to ask, how many of these people who tune in to see, say, Jake Paul fight or who will watch Thor fight are going to continue to buy tickets to watch a live boxing event when a live boxing event happens in their hometown? How many of them are going to continue to buy pay-per-views when it's not a big celebrity name on the card? Like how many of them are going to continue to support mm -hmm. the sport of boxing outside of the celebrities? Mm -hmm. I don't know. My guess is probably not very many. Because mm -hmm. to be honest, unless you're a real boxing fan, boxing's kind of boring to watch. Like we, yep. we love to see highlights. We love to see the big knockouts. We love to see the big punches. But that's, that's kind of rare in the sport of boxing. Right. The Mike Tyson style highlight reels are the exception and not the norm. Most of the time, it's a game of attrition. It's a game of millimeters. I've it's a game this, of, yeah. uh, I've, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've gotten to understand many ways. It, yeah. Watching watching boxing matches. And then I'm like, wow, that what that's that's boring. And then you hear somebody who is really an avid, passionate boxer or just enjoys the sport is like, wow, you know, that this is going on. This is going on. This is going on. I'm like, what? I don't yeah. see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost yeah, man. Right. Wow. You almost have to work as a, a judge to really appreciate it. Like, yeah. I've, I've judged a lot of combat sports. I've judged MMA mm. fights. I've judged mm. kickboxing matches. I've judged Sunda Muay Thai. I've judged a lot of boxing matches too. And as a judge, you have to pay attention to the nitty gritty, boring details. Like, mm. is that a significant strike? Is that a glancing mm. blow? Is that a knockback? Is that a nothing? Is there connection? Is there damage? You got to pay attention to this because wow. people's careers hang in the balance. In the balance. Yeah. Wow.
As far so, as Thor and the arm mm, wrestling guy, man, I don't yeah. remember the arm wrestling guy's name, but I don't know anything about him. I mean, I was, I was, I was starting to get excited about seeing Eddie Hall and yeah, Thor me because too. you know they're me they're too. putting a story behind it. Yeah, most definitely. And we we tell ourselves, I love boxing or I love MMA, I love the sport. We love the story is what it is. Wow. We love, we love narratives. It's how we communicate. It's how all human beings communicate. We communicate with narratives. Yes, Even the smallest part of speech, a morpheme, a smallest part of a word with meaning, right? It has a story behind it. Every sound that comes out of our mouth has a whole story behind it. That's what a dictionary is. It tells us the story behind the words, the etymology and so on, right? That's how we, that's how we respond to information. Mm. We don't communicate with information. We communicate with stories. Fighting is no different. If there's no story behind it, it's boring. It's a couple of monkeys in a boxing ring just going at it. But if there's a story, if we have this giant from this corner from this part of the world against this giant, and they're both training, and you can watch them on YouTube doing their respective training regiments, and and there's this whole buildup, and and then uh, Animosity, Eddie hurts his arm or whatever other. it is, and yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, it's just because and it's this is, big yeah. letdown because mm, yeah, you're so right. We were building up to the third act yeah. of the story of <laughs> the final of Thor versus Eddie <laughs> yes, Hall, and then the final chapter. They left us on a cliffhanger, man. <laughs> and then we have this guy we don't know, right? I mean, maybe yeah. arm wrestling fans know him, but the average person is like, oh, that's not the guy. That's not our no, character. That's and, not, and you know, cr no, crazy he wasn't in the is, book. Crazy thing is, yeah, you're right. He, he wasn't in the, in the book, but Devon Lorette, that's his name, the the arm wrestling guy. And uh, I started yeah. following, I think, a couple of... It couple might be of, a better fight. Yeah, we don't might know. be, yeah. But I started following him, and I really appreciate him and his character. And he's, and he's, he, he's a very... You got to check him out. He's a very charismatic guy. There's a reason why he is the leader of those arm wrestling folks. Not only because he's very skilled at it, as far as I can tell, but he's also incredibly fun to watch, very articulate, very charismatic, very cool dude. And... Um, but you're right, the story's missing. So so it's like, oh no, he tore his biceps, so no, no build up, no final chapter. And Thor's like, yo, I, I want somebody to box, uh, I want to hit somebody. So it's like, yeah, no, now you got a substitute, but it's it's not the same. And uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Thor's mm. attitude though. I, I love Thor's mm -hmm. attitude. He he made a video about this. I, I appreciate it where he said, you know, I put on I've put in all this work. It's it's not just for a show, like I am serious about this. I want to compete. Like I've been training yeah. to compete, and yeah. so I will. I was yeah. like, okay, we 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 gotta respect that. So yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, Devon, if only Devon you can build up same. a narrative around that work ethic, though. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is about that fight. Devon Lorette has that same idea. He's an incredible. Have you watched some arm wrestling stuff? Uh, um, not too much. I mean, you got, I'm really? familiar with what arm wrestling is. I've tried it a few times. Okay. But... You know, I'm, I'm completely... Yeah. I, I, two as things. As far as now, pro arm wrestling, haven't really seen much. You, you got to check it out. Because the reason now why I'm talking to you and why I'm listening to you about MMA and stuff, I'm, I am somehow interested, but the way you present it is very, very appealing. So that's the reason why I, I'm even more interested. And with Devon, he has this with arm wrestling. 
I don't want to get into arm wrestling. Arm wrestling in and all by itself, it's interesting to watch, but it's incredibly fun to watch when he does it because he's going into that smack yeah. talk mode. In a, in, a, in a way, he's such a loving person, but he goes into that smack talk mode and they almost want to want to bite each other on the on that small table oh you got to check it out it's really worth watching like he's talking while he's yeah they're you know they're, they're they okay and most of the times oh, wow. when, when you have pros two really really good guys against each other then they do all that stuff when and i think devon mentioned something that it's all about positioning right same with kettlebells same with uh fighting so yeah. positioning right and then sometimes they they go at it and then they 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 lose contact and then they got to put a a small thread around them and bind them together and then you got to imagine these guys are in close proximity just like that to movie each other. over the top yeah just like that movie and these folks are they're so close to each other and then devon they go after it and it takes you'd be like okay it's boom it's done but the way they they are at it it takes sometimes minutes how they work it's fascinating fascinating awesome yeah it is so interesting when you get a guy who is who is able to draw you into a subject you never thought you would be interested in like that so i'm definitely going to check this dude out really do it devon Lorette. yeah so ramsey i 100 percent okay. appreciate uh your time it was really 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 fun talking to you so thank you for watching if you enjoyed the video like it consider subscribing if you want to see more kettlebell content and if you're looking for a kettlebell course that serves you all the needs when it comes to technique training understanding biomechanics everything all at once then consider signing up for our early birds list for the hybrid style masterclass it's our upcoming course this is my simple and sinister you got to check it out sign up link is in the description